Hello my friends, this is Nikki. This is episode 25 and today we begin the public life of the Lord Jesus. Today's lesson is about his departure from Nazareth and from his mother Mary. And we begin with Mary serving a supper to Jesus uh, as they are alone in their home and she's of a very heavy heart and she's crying and emotional because she knows that he's going to be leaving and beginning his mission. And Mary goes out beyond the kitchen garden and she is weeping. And uh, just a reminder, we are reading from the poem of the man-god of Maria Valtorta. Mary is weeping, bent over the bench. She looks like a child. Her head is resting on her folded left arm and she is crying silently but very grievously. Jesus enters quietly and approaches her so softly that she realizes he is there only when he lays his hand on her lowered head, calling her mother. In his voice there is the sound of a gentle, loving reproach. Mary lifts her head and looks at Jesus through a veil of tears, and with both hands joined she leans on his right arm. Jesus wipes her face with the hem of his large sleeve and then he embraces her, clasping her to his heart and kissing her forehead. Jesus is majestic. He looks more manly than ever, whilst Mary looks more like a little girl, except for her sorrow-stricken face. Come, mother, Jesus says to her. And holding her close to himself with his right arm, he walks into the kitchen garden, where they sit down on a bench against the wall of the house. The kitchen garden is now silent and dark, apart from the moonlight and the light coming from the house. The night is serene. Jesus is speaking to Mary, and he says, And get your relatives to come. Don't stay here alone. I will be happy, your mother, and you know how I need peace of mind to fulfill my mission. You will not lack my love. I will come quite often, and I will inform you in case I cannot come home when I am back in Galilee. Then you will come to me, mother. This hour was to come. It began when the angel appeared to you. It is now striking, and we must live it, mother, must we not? After we have overcome the trial, we shall have peace and joy. First we must cross this desert as our ancestors did, before entering the promised land. But the Lord God will help us as he helped them, and he will grant us his help as a spiritual manner to nourish our souls in the difficult moment of the trial. Let us say the Our Father together. Jesus and Mary stand up, and they look up to heaven, two living victims shining in the darkness. Jesus slowly, but with a clear voice, says the Lord's Prayer, stressing the words. He emphasizes the words, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He prays with his arms stretched out, as priests do when they say, The Lord be with you. Mary's hands are joined. Then they go back into the house, and Jesus tries to get Mary to eat a little bit. Finally he rises, and they embrace, and kiss each other very fondly and repeatedly. They always seem to be on the point of separating and parting, but each time Mary embraces her son over and over again. She is Our Lady, but she is still a mother, a mother who must part from her son, and is fully aware 
of the final destination of his departure, and Mary suffers. Jesus takes his dark blue mantle, puts it on his shoulders, and pulls the hood on to his head. He arranges his haversack across his back in order to be free when walking. Mary helps him, and she delays endlessly in sorting his tunic, mantle, and hood, caressing him in the meantime. Jesus goes towards the door after making a sign of blessing in the room. Mary follows him, and at the open door they kiss each other once again. The road is silent and solitary, white in the moonlight. Jesus starts walking away. He turns around twice to look at his mother, who is leaning against the doorpost, paler than the moon's rays, her eyes sparkling with silent tears. Jesus moves farther and farther away along the narrow white road. Mary is still weeping against the doorpost. Then Jesus disappears around a bend of the road. His evangelical journey, which will end on Golgotha, has just begun. Mary goes into the house shedding tears and closes the door. She also has started her journey, which will take her to Golgotha. Now Jesus is speaking directly to us. He says, This is the fourth sorrow of Mary, mother of God. The first was the presentation in the temple, the second the flight into Egypt, the third the death of Joseph, the fourth my separation from her. With so many books dealing with me, and which after which so many revisions, changes, and fineries have become unreal, I want to give those who believe in me a vision brought back to the truth of my mortal days. I am not diminished thereby, on the contrary, I am made greater in my humility, which becomes substantial nourishment for you, to teach you to be humble and like me, as I was a man like you, and in my human life, I bore the perfection of God. I was to be your model, and models must always be perfect. The lesson of the contemplation of my separation is addressed especially to those parents and children whom God's will calls to renounce one another for the sake of a greater love. It also applies to all those who have to face a painful renouncement. How many such sorrowful situations you find in your lives. They are thorns on the earth and they pierce your hearts, I know. But for those who accept them with resignation, mind I am not saying for those who wish them and accept them with joy, which is already perfection. I am saying with resignation, they become eternal roses. But only few people resign themselves to accepting them. Like restive little donkeys, you recalcitrate against the Father's will, and you jib, and you even try at times to hit good God with spiritual kicks and bites, that is, with rebellion and blasphemy. And do not say, I had but this good thing, and God took it away. I had but this affection, and God took it away. Also Mary, a gentle woman, with perfect love, because in the Virgin full of grace, also affections and sensations were perfect. Also Mary had but one good thing and one love on the earth, her son, the only thing left to her. Her parents had died a long time before. Joseph had died some years earlier. Only I was left to love her and make her feel she was not alone. 
her relatives, because of me, of whose divine origin they were not aware, were somewhat hostile to her, because they considered her a mother incapable of imposing herself on her son, who did not behave according to good common sense, and turned down marriage proposals which could bring prestige to the family as well as material help. Her relatives reasoned according to common sense, to human sense. You call it good sense, but it is only human sense, that is, selfishness, and they would have liked my life to comply with their usage. After all, they were always afraid that one day they might get into trouble because of me, as I had already dared express certain ideas which they considered too idealistic and thought might irritate the synagogue. Hebrew history was full of teachings on the fate of prophets. The prophet's mission was not an easy one, and often brought about death for the prophet and trouble for his kinsfolk, and there was always the fear that one day they might have to take care of my mother. They were therefore irritated by the fact that she did not oppose me in anything, nay, she seemed to be in perpetual adoration in front of her son. This conflict was to increase in the three years of my public life, when it culminated with open reproaches every time they met me in the midst of crowds and were ashamed of what they considered my mania for vexing the powerful classes, and they rebuked me and my poor mother. Mary was aware of the moods of her relatives and was able to foresee their future tempers. They were not at all like James, Judah, and Simon, or their mother, Mary of Clopas. But although she knew what her lot was going to be during the three years of my public life, and was aware of her destiny and mind at the end of the three years, she did not recalcitrate as you do. She cried. And which mother would not have cried because of the separation from a son who loved her as I loved mine, or because of the prospect of long days devoid of my presence in a solitary house? or because of the dreary outlook of a son doomed to butt against the malice of guilty people who took vengeance for their guilt by offending the blameless one to the extent of killing him. She cried because she was the co-redeemer, and because she was the mother of mankind who were being born once again to God, and she had to cry for all the mothers who were not able to turn their motherly sorrows into a crown of eternal glory. How many mothers there are in the world from whose arms death snatches their creatures! How many mothers there are whose sons are torn away from their sides by a supernatural will! As the mother of all Christians, Mary cried for all her daughters, and in her sorrow of a bereft mother she cried for all her sisters, and she cried for all her sons, who, born of woman, were to become apostles of God or martyrs for God's sake, because of their loyalty to God or because of man's cruelty. My blood and my mother's tears are the mixture that fortifies those destined to a heroic fate, obliterates their imperfections and the sins they committed because of their weakness, and, in addition to martyrdom, in whatever way suffered, it grants them the peace of God and then the glory of heaven if they suffered for God.
the missionary fathers find that mixture to be a flame that warms them in the regions covered by perpetual snow, and they find it to be a dew when the sun is scorching. Mary's tears originate from her charity, and they gush out from her heart of a lily. They therefore possess the fire of virginal charity, the spouse of love, and the scented freshness of virginal purity, like the drops of water which gather on the chalice of a lily on a dewy night. Our mixture is found by those consecrated in the desert of well-understood monastic life. It is a desert because it only lives in communion with God, whilst all other affections fade away and become pure supernatural charity towards relatives, friends, superiors, and inferiors. It is found by those consecrated to God in the world, in the world that neither understands nor loves them, a desert also for them, as they live in it as if they were alone, so much are they misunderstood and mocked for my sake. Our mixture is found by my dear victims, because Mary is the first victim for Jesus' love, and with her hands of a mother and a doctor, she gives her followers her tears, which refreshen and urge to a greater sacrifice, holy tears of my mother. Mary prays. She does not object to praying because God had given her sorrows. Remember that. She prays together with Jesus. She prays the Father, ours and yours. The first Our Father was set in the kitchen garden in Nazareth to console Mary's pain, to offer our wills to the Eternal Father when a period of greater and greater sacrifices was about to begin for us, culminating with the sacrifice of my life and my mother's acceptance of the death of her son. And although we had nothing for which the Father should forgive us, just out of humility, we, the faultless ones, begged the Father's pardon that we might proceed worthily in our mission, after being forgiven and absolved of even a sigh. Because we wanted to teach you that the more you are in the grace of God, the more your mission is blessed and fruitful. We also wanted to teach you to respect God and be humble. Before God the Father, Although a perfect man and a perfect woman, we felt we were nothing, and we begged forgiveness, exactly as we asked for our daily bread. Which was our bread? Oh, not the bread made by the pure hands of Mary, and baked in our little oven, for which I had so often prepared bundles of sticks and brushwood. Also that bread is necessary while man is on the earth. But our daily bread was to fulfill, day by day, our part of the mission. We begged God to grant us that every day, because to fulfill the mission that God gives us is the joy of our day. Mary prays together with Jesus. It is Jesus who justifies you, my children. It is I who make your prayers fruitful and agreeable to the Father. I said, Anything you ask from the Father, he will grant in my name. And the Church enhances her prayers, saying, Through Jesus Christ our Lord. When you pray, be always united to me. 
I will pray for you in a loud voice, drowning your human voices with my voice of man-god. I will take your prayers in my pierced hands, and I will raise them to the Father. They will thus become victims of infinite value. My voice mingled with yours will rise like a filial kiss to the Father, and the purple of my wounds will make your prayers valuable ones. Be in me if you want to have the Father in you, with you, for you. So here we see how Mary is our co-redeemer. She is always faithful to God's will, always obedient to God's will, always humble to God's will. It doesn't preclude her from suffering. It doesn't preclude her from having her heart break. But she never turns her aching heart against the Lord. She serves him in joyful times and in painful times, always with love, always with her eyes towards pleasing God and following his requirements of her. And she's an amazing example for all of us who suffer, who rebel against suffering, who do not want to suffer. But if we accept with resignation, as Jesus told us, we will suffer with the rewards that God holds for us in heaven. I thank you all for listening. Please join me for the next episode, episode 26, Jesus' Baptism in the Jordan by John the Baptist. Go with God.